1: Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: All right, all you Stu's wrestling fans out there,
1: we got Stu's Wrestling Podcast coming up for you. This is Angry Alan Funk, from WCW, WWE, and TNA coming at you. You better watch Stu's Wrestling Podcast, brother, or you're going to get one of those... You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer! It is episode 87 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast and before we get into the episode with Doug Basham, former two-time tag team champion as part of the Basham Brothers, I just want to say a big, big thank you to all my listeners and viewers across all the platforms, it's been fantastic, we've been charting across the world in the Apple Wrestling Charts as well, that continues amazing. This past Monday, myself and good friend Mike Angus made our commentary debut for Superstar Pro Wrestling out of Liverpool. I just want to thank Jay After, Dave Faulkner and Kieran Moran for giving myself and Michael the chance to showcase our skills on commentary, I had an absolutely fantastic time, it was great to go to a show And I know the wrestlers were on the card and the guys involved with Superstar Pro They've been waiting for so so long with the Covid situation to put on a live show And it was superb, so yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you And without further ado, I think it's time to do an intro for Mr Basham Former two-time WWE Tag Team Champion with Doug Basham Doug started out in 1991, training in the business. He went on to wrestle for USWA out of Memphis. You get to hear about his time there, very, very early on in his career. His 10-year quest to get to WWE as well, he got there. He was Tag Champion twice, amazing stuff, and you'll get to hear about that. Doug was a part of JBL's cabinet on SmackDown. Him and Danny were the co-secretaries of defence. It was an amazing time. He talks about how hated JBL was and how he ran with the ball, being world champion at the time. I, for one, couldn't stand JBL and the character, so he was doing his job. And Doug talks about that and that time period in WWE. He talks about the effect Jim Cornette has had on his career. Some really good stuff there. We also hear about his time in TNA. He went to TNA for a brief period with Danny, who was then going as damager, which was his name in OVW. Doug's career has gone full circle. He retired in 2009, but he's now back involved with Al Snow at the Wrestling Academy and OVW. He's an agent. He's a head trainer. He's also taken up a managerial on screen. So Doug is back. It was amazing to hear this story, I've enjoyed having him on, it was incredible. This is why I love what I do, having these guys on. So, without further ado, my guest for episode 87 is former WWE Tag Team Champion as one half of the Basham Brothers, Doug Basham. Enjoy. My guest all the way from Indiana in the good old US of 8 on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today is former two-time WWE Tag Team Champion as one half of the Basham Brothers. It is Doug Basham all the way from Indiana today. Such an honour to have you on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, pal. Glad to be here. I think first things 1st I'd like to talk to you about your start in pro wrestling. Now, when I was doing my research, you went into wrestling in 1993. Is that right?
0: I believe that sounds about right. Um, that's when I started with USWA, but I started training, I think, in 92, late 91, 92. How, Danny, how, Davis, I, Marvel, Uncle Danny Davis, Uncle Danny Davis, opened a
1: wrestling school. I, I didn't know that until I went in. I did not know you were related until I read that, did a bit of background, you know? Now, some people get him confused with the um, referee. He yeah. was not
0: the referee, Danny Davis. <laughs> he was the referee. Were one of the nightmares, uh, one of the great tag teams of uh, old school days. I was
1: Memphis
0: guilty.
1: Wrestling. I was guilty of thinking it was referee talent, Danny Davis, as well. I'm gonna. I'll hold my hand up until, yeah, until years, years until years later. As I was like, hold on a minute, total different guy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. How how was it in USWA starting and, out your first matches, man? I'll tell you what. Um, I was about twenty.
0: Too, I think when I got my first uh, first gig there, working uh, for a company, a big-time company, and uh, I grew up watching a lot of the guys, a lot of the stars that were uh, on the show, like Jerry Lawler and uh, Brian Christopher and Jeff Jarrett and uh, other people like Dutch Mantel, Sid Bicious. and So growing up, uh, I can only imagine whenever you are uh, growing up watching these guys on TV, and then you're finally there actually working with them. It's a little, you know, I was young, I was only like 22. So uh, I was a little starstruck and I was like, oh man, so wow. So, you know, I, <laughs> and I was scrawny, man. I was skinny. Uh, had no business actually being there yet because of my body size, my weight, but my mind was pretty good. You know, I knew how what to do. But uh, first, first time there in Memphis, uh, USWA. It was uh, quite an experience, quite a learning experience.
1: Did you Did you relocate to Memphis, or did you just travel in? Travel. It was a. Yeah. Uh,
0: you, you, you make sure you have a good car, and you're booked in a place maybe six hours away, and you take off. Make sure you get there on time.
1: Where did you go after USWA? Where Where were you? Resting? USW USWA. I hit the indie scene
0: and did the indies over here, and then. Um, Work with Danny. He started uh, his own little shows. Uh, and called them the Future Stars of Tomorrow. And then he developed Ohio Valley Wrestling. Mm-hmm. He created that. And I pretty much stayed and uh, was one of the main, main storylines and main stars there for Ohio Valley Wrestling. But also traveled and did, uh, did, did some indies up on the East Coast mainly.
1: Who, who was in and around the indies at that time? Any names? Any standout names? Any names that we got on to see latterly? Steve Carino,
0: oh man, who all was on the indie scene back then? Shane Twins, uh, a whole slew of names. That you know, you put me on the spot. So you know, <laughs> you put somebody on the spot, you can't, you can never think. But then later on, I'll have Tourette's and start going. Bah, 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 I'll start naming off <laughs> names. <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe Fever along... You remember, you remember as you go through the interview, go. man. Absolutely, absolutely. I think maybe now we could segue into OVW and you go in there. I know you were there for quite a number of years. Obviously, your uncle was training you, as you've alluded to. So, how how was it initially with OVW and, and training there and wrestling for for the promotion?
0: Man, it was it was great. I had a um, I was very fortunate and lucky to be trained by my own uncle who took care of me. Uh, made sure I was trained right, didn't just take my money and say, yeah, there you go. Uh, he had further plans, though, for uh, me while training me um, because I, I, you know, I don't mean to toot my own horn or anything like that, but because I, I had uh, some ta- talent and I kind of got it, I had that that it factor when it comes to wrestling. Um, so, uh, working for Ohio Valley was, was a blessing in disguise. You know, some people, some people think it was a curse, but it was a blessing because I got a lot of experience there. Um, I worked with a lot of the top guys, veterans that came around, Tracy Smothers, Rip Rogers, Dutch Mantel. And I got a lot of, uh, experience from working with them when they came in. Um, because the only way you're going to get better is if you work with someone that knows more than you and is better than you. So they, they really helped teach me how to tell stories in wrestling and, uh, psychology, um, how how to do when and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So um, that was uh, one of the greatest things I think that I got from Ohio, Ohio Valley Wrestling, working with the greats, late greats, and some of them are still still around today. And then um, just, just being able to get on get TV, learn how to work a uh, TV when we started our TV program, learning how to hit time cues and learning what to do uh, for TV, learning how to work hard camera, you know, learning where cameras are. So it's just a lot of experience. I got a lot of experience in Ohio Valley wrestling uh, while I was there. And that was pre, that was before um, Ohio Valley became the developmental territory for the WWE. So I had all this experience doing TVs before WWE and Jim Cornette um, all came into Ohio Valley wrestling. So I was ahead of the game.
1: Now, it's just funny you mentioned Jim Cornette, because that was going to be the next question. Now I'm, I'm a big fan. I know the guy splits opinion, but I love, I love the old school ideals that he still sticks to today. I know he has his thoughts on modern wrestling. I, I like I like modern wrestling too. I'm a big proponent of old school. But yeah, my editor for this show, Chris Dutton, said, please, will you ask Doug about Jim, <laughs> Jim Cornette and his experiences of Jim Cornette at OVW? Because I'm sure there's many stories.
0: Oh, there's a ton of stories about Jim Cornette, but, uh, you know, I have huge, huge, massive respect for Jim Cornette. When he came in with the developmental territory, he would uh, teach us how to do promos because he's a promo king of the world. He can go for days and not even take a breath. And also writing TV's, He's brilliant when it comes to writing stories, storylines and telling stories and getting from point A to point Z. And filling everything in in between. I mean, the the man was just brilliant, genius, and working uh, under. I guess working is it before, working for, working with Jim Cornette at Ohio Valley Wrestling and putting on the the TV show. That was getting that experience. Working with someone like that was pivotal in my career. That helped uh, shape who I was and helped me have develop that mind. Of why you do this, and this is why you do this to get here. It was great experience moving from and uh, moving from one point to the next in my career. And Jim Jim Cornette, brilliant mind. You want to know a little about him? He's a brilliant mind. Um, he likes things he is old school, and he you know, and he likes things his way. But he was also open to some ideas if you had some ideas. And most of the time, our our ideas were not that good because we didn't know we didn't know uh, how to do what he did but uh, he was always open and he would like write TVs and, and uh, write promo stuff for you and say, here, here's what I want you to say. Here's the hot points, put it in your own words. So he gave us that freedom to go and do um, because, you know, anytime you recite something on a piece of paper, it sounds like you're reading it as opposed to putting it in your own words and, and getting across his point. But as long as you got across his point, he was happy and he'd give you opportunity after opportunity. And, and if you did really well, he'd just keep giving them to you. So Jim Cornette was two thumbs up, man. He was great, great. I learned a lot from him too.
1: What, what a basis for you, you know, pre, previous to getting to SmackDown, getting to the main roster. Also, with Cornette, I just can't believe how he can remember so much stuff, the history of the business, how he can just recount stuff on his podcast. The He's just a mind and everything he can recount is incredible.
0: Oh yeah, I listen to his podcast too when I'm driving down the road for what work and stuff I'm doing today. It's it's one, it's entertaining, and two, it brings back memories, and then three to hear his point of view on on uh, why why he did what he did and why, and then to hear him uh, do uh, his uh, uh, opinions on things for today. It's just entertaining. I love it, man. I think it's great.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you now about. I know I was reading you had some tryout matches before going on to the main roster at SmackDown. So yeah, how, how, how were the tryouts and going up from developmental to take people on? Well,
0: the thing that OVW, Danny, Jimmy, another individual by the name of Rip Rogers, um, made sure that I had, made sure that I was, was over prepared. So when I got to, uh, it took, you know, I spent 10 years in, in OVW before I got those tryouts and got that uh, opportunity. Sometimes it takes people 10 years. Sometimes it takes people 10 days, you know, just depends. But when I got there, I had all the experience. I had all the knowledge. I had everything I needed to stay there. So some people, they don't have enough. They can get there, but they can't stay there. They're, they're just, a, just a memory. They're a wink of an eye. So um, when I had my tryout matches and, and I moved up and was getting, getting, to look, getting looked at, um i I was over prepared i was ready to knock it out of the
1: park that's cool man that's cool i think so yeah be perfect now to talk about yourself and danny you went as damager in developmental tagging coming together as the Basham brothers and i remember shaniqua being with you as valet manager too I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't wanted to have crossed here. I probably wouldn't have wanted to cross here now as well. <laughs> but yeah, how was that dynamic having a manager and a valet going up to the main roster? Was it, was there a lot of pressure or were you quite calm and cool and collected with going up?
0: Uh, it, it nothing, nothing shook us at all. We were, like I said, when me and Danny, we had a lot of time in OBW together, working together, trained by the same guys, same, same mindset, same philosophy. Um, so whenever, and we work with managers down in OVW, so that was no uh, strange thing for us as well. But working with uh, Shaniqua being, being green, you know, uh, we were uh, astute in being able to work with someone that's green and help them, guide them, and lead them in what we needed to do and tell them the whys we're doing. So working with uh, Linda, it, it, was, it was easy, and she was just such a spectacle to look at. I mean, she was she was, just, you know dang on she was near six foot tall she was an athletic individual who played basketball at rutgers i believe she was in phenomenal shape i mean i don't it's been a long time since i think there's been a woman on wwe at that time that looked like her i think china may have been it Mm -hmm. you know and then she comes out and she's this big amazon looking woman that's big and 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 mean looking and uh if if danny and i would have um done things a little bit differently with her i think that the uh, Basham brothers with Shaniqua would have stayed around a little longer. I think we kind of, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to say it now. I think we messed up in our thinking a little bit. But if we would have worked and used her in a different way and uh, put her a little bit more on as because she was the vocal point of our tag team and we wanted we wanted to be the vocal point of our tag team so that could have been a little bit of the demise actually not even could have been that was more of the demise of that tag team and that that whole uh, the, the, the trio um, and I think they saw that so they just kind of split us up And but uh, if I had to do had it all to do over again things would have been done totally different and uh, Linda would have been put a little bit more she would have been put way up here and more of the focus factor of that tag team uh we, we would have made a lot more money. It's probably been there a lot longer. So hey you, you make mistakes in your mind, male. You know.
1: Cool cool insight that and that'll be good for people in you know going into the business who, who listen to this show and watch this show. So yeah, no, thank you, thank you for sharing that. I yeah. appreci- appreciate you talking about that. The the tag team, the first tag team run, beating Los Guerrero, Eddie Los Guerrero, sorry, Eddie and Chavo. How was that? Getting, getting that first title run on Smackdown?
0: Dream come true. I mean, whenever I, I had I had some goals and had some dreams that I wanted to achieve in wrestling when I started, one is I wanted to work for the WWE. I wanted to be in the, or at the time it was WWF, but um, everybody knows WWE, the F get the F out, so it's WWE. Um, I wanted to work for Vince, so I, I achieved that goal. Second goal was I wanted to wear gold. I wanted to be a champion. Achieve that goal. Third was, I wanted to be in a WrestleMania. <laughs> and I achieved that goal. So I, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve um, in wrestling other than having a singles career. But winning the titles, tag titles from the championship titles from uh, Los Guerreros, Eddie and Chavo couldn't have been even, even more uh, a dream come true. Because I always, uh, I would growing up, <laughs> you know, I watched Eddie. And you know, I wanted to work like Eddie, and because the way he he would wrestle and the way he would perform in the ring and be entertainment. So, and Eddie and I became really good friends. You know, after, during during this when meeting him. But winning them both, uh, winning the titles for the first time. You know, it was just like it was in it awe. It's like we, me and Danny looked at each other, and I was like, Danny, <laughs> we, we, we did it. We're we're here. Yeah. We're here. Our, our names are etched in wrestling. And then uh, when we won the titles and we came back through the uh, the walkway before we go to the ring, come back, we stood there and waited for Eddie and Chavo. And uh, Eddie and Chavo came back and, you know, we gave, everybody gave each other hugs. We said, good job. I think the match was stellar. It was, it was, it was top notch match. I give it a, I give it a five stars. Um, And then Eddie said, congratulations, boys, it's your turn now. Represent them well. And then he, you know, patted on shoulders like that. And he walked off. So I was just like, Wow.
1: Wow. Smackdown was the show at that point as well. The rating, the, in terms of ratings as well. When you look, and like I said to you, you know, I was at the house shows. The, the, the roster was just incredible. And uh, it was testament to all you guys, you know, beat, beating Raw as well. I remember yeah. I remember seeing the ratings o- over here when we used to get them. And it's uh, yeah, amazing. Amazing. How was that knowing that, you know, you were beating Raw, which was meant to be the A show of the company? it was
0: awesome competition's always good no matter what you do and what you're doing and beating them in ratings was just like you know because smackdown was supposed to be the pardon my my pun or term the redheaded stepchild you know <laughs> it was <laughs> the it, it, it second it was a second second show you know it wasn't vince's uh creation it was kind of like uh obviously it was vince's creation but um his original was raw and that was his baby because it was live and um you know work at that time ratings were so good i think jbl was having that run as champion and everybody just hated him he did such a good job being a heel and just getting people to hate him and hate him and john cena chased them all you know eddie chase ever all these baby faces chasing him and uh he did a good job hanging on to that tell him all the storylines he was in with eddie and taker and big show and then cena and then uh, even when, I think when JBO was the champion, the house show attendance was going up, people wanted to, because, you know, it was entertaining. We had a good roster, man, a lot of good people in there. Um, so, but, yeah, you know, kudos to the top guys, or kudos to the whole roster, everybody in SmackDown, but extra kudos to the top guys at that time, really bringing in the house, bringing in people to come to shows.
1: How was the cabinet JBL's cabinet and you being part of that faction, being the co-secretaries of defense yourself and Danny? How was that pitched to you?
0: Well, me and Danny, um, if you guys you guys remember that the tough enough, yeah, tough enough. You know, yeah. I think it was season three or four, I can't remember where Danny and I had to defend that that flag uh, in the corner. And if, if anybody got past that flag and, and got to, you know, they they would win that that uh, competition. So when you're before the whole show ever started, we, we all, you know, bef- you know, during, you know, about two or three o'clock in the day, we all get up in the ring and walk through the segment and stuff like that. And this is what's going to happen. Al Snow's there. Um and Vince is up in the ring and then the, the kids came down and were standing outside the ring and then they were we were just kind of walking through how it would work. Um and it was a straight up, it was real. That whole thing was real. It was a it was, it was real. There was nothing pre-planned about it other than just how they would get in the ring and, and that was it. So Vince was up there with me and Danny after the kids had went back and went back to do whatever they were doing, and Al left. So it was just me, Danny, Vince. I think there may have been uh, Shimo in the ring or somebody. Vince comes up to me and Danny and goes, Now, boys, short of killing anybody, now, we don't want to put nobody in the hospital, he goes. But... You see that flag over there? It's going to be right there. You see that turnbuckle that it's got that uh, WW on it? Yep. He goes, "That's what you're representing tonight." And he hit us on the shoulders. So and we went, "Oh man, we just been put on notice." (laughs) 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 So we were like, and we looked at each other, and me and Danny, we said, "Nobody's even coming close to that flag." We knew what to do. We knew sure. He said, "Short of killing somebody," so we knew what to do. And we did it. We did it. None none of those kids got past us, but man, some of them were super strong and it was such, you know, because it was, it was so um, exerting energy, exerting, man, it really wore us out. And that's the only reason Daniel pewter, if you guys go back and watch this again, the only reason Daniel pewter got as close as he did was, was because our arms were like noodles, our legs, we were, we were spent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we, we, but Danny had him in a chokehold to slow him down and I was grabbed a hold of his ankles and it was just trying to you know give him a so he wouldn't go anywhere. Um and we did that to all the guys, all those kids up in, anyway. But um yeah that's the only reason Daniel Pewter got as close as he did is because we were spent.
1: We were spent. <laughs> that's cool man. That's cool. I think maybe to extend up you spoke about Vince there. How how we the dealings with Vince any any stories about Vince as as a boss stuff he spoke to you about as
0: a- oh man um you know he was just just like any other promoter out there he was you know gave you opportunities you take you either take advantage of it or you didn't um of course there's there's quite a few quite a few stories about vince that i was a part of but um not being uh, one of the top guys yet in the company i didn't have a whole lot of interaction with him um just other than backstage meetings where he got everybody together um, I did go to him one time. I was going to pitch an idea, um, and I uh, was went and, t- went and trained with this magician. I lived in Tampa, Florida at the time, and I went and trained with this magician, a magic guy. So I was going to do some sort of a magic character, but I had to learn how to do magic. And that stuff is hard. <laughs> it was not easy. So I trained about six months, seven months with this uh, magician down in Florida named Daniel Lieb, I think his name was. Uh, Lieb can't remember it's been so long ago he was really good um, and made things look so easy and uh, the one thing that I took to was like money magic I really like you know make money just appear out of anywhere and, and make dollar bills and a hundred dollar bills so I had I learned this one trick where I could turn dollar bills into hundred dollar bills and I asked I went in there I was going to show Vince this some of this trick uh, what I could do and I wasn't going to say anything but I'm just going to show him so I went in there and asked the boss, boss, you got a, you got a hundred dollar bill, which I didn't think he would say yes. And he's just like, okay. And he gave him hundred dollars. He pulled out a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, oh, it, was, it was supposed to be a dollar, not a hundred dollars. So I took that hundred dollar bill and I put it in my pocket and he goes, is that the trick or what are you doing? I said, no, because well, before that I opened my wallet and like it flames came out and I was like, Oh, Oh, oh. I blew it out like that. And I said, man, On fire and whatever, and dang it, I burnt all my money. Boss, do you have a hundred dollar bill? That's why I asked for the hundred dollar bill, and he's like, Yeah, he gave me a hundred dollar bill, and I'm like, Dang it, he wasn't supposed to do that. So I just took it, put it in my pocket, said thank you. (laughs) And I pulled out some, I'll use this one over here. He just kind of looks at me like, Okay, where's he going with this? So I took out the the trick, I showed him the trick, and where I turned the money into uh, turned one dollar bills and hundred dollar bills. And you know, like that. And then I, turn, I turned it back into $1 bills. And I took that, I took a dollar bill and I handed it back to him Thanks, boss. And went to go walk out. And he goes, Oh, oh hold on. He goes, There's some zeros missing. So <laughs> oh, here you go. There you go. So I took it out back and I folded it up. And I had the other $100 bill in my hand. And I folded it up and I took it and folded it out. And there's this $100. Says, there you go, boss. There's your $100 bill. So it was pretty cool. And so it's a little bit of magic and trick. Um, it never came to fruition, but. Uh, because i, I would have ruined it anyway but because uh, i wasn't that good at it so that that's that's some interaction with bench you know he was he was he'll actually would listen to you if you had some ideas he would listen to you because anything we have ideas we bring them to him and he can work with that just like any any other promoter that you would work with that's doing tv they pretty much listen to talent as well because bring ideas ideas promoters love ideas <laughs>
1: Cool man, that's cool. You, now the Basham brothers were split up and you were drafted to Raw and you went on to go and do some singles. You went you went to do yeah. some single single work. How how was that coming away from doing tagging and then going into singles and, and going to you know the other brand as it were? Yep.
0: Danny got what how that was Vince come up. Um, Danny and I had that did that promo where we split up with JBL, you know, and then Vince came up and told us that he was going to split us up, send one to Raw and say, one on we're on SmackDown. So Danny, we're going to send you to Raw and Doug, we're going to keep you here on SmackDown. And um, so we, it was our, our job to come up with some ideas. And at that point we were ready for a singles career. Eddie, Danny was ready to go have a singles, singles run. And, and so was I. And then just coming up with an idea I wasn't ready for. I didn't have an idea other than that magic idea, which was after I started doing that after I pitched this one idea of the bash man. And it just, it it would, it just tanked because I was the idea I had and they assigned a writer to me. And these writers are kids hired from college and all this other stuff that not really come from a wrestling background. So I gave this pitch, this idea to this, this kid, He listened and took my idea, totally changed it around to make it something that he thought of, and it just didn't work. It it didn't work at all. Totally took my idea and just threw it out and did something else with it. So kind of why my singles career didn't take off. So when, when I introduced it or went out to go introduce it to Vince, he didn't get it. Because I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. What ha- what almost happened, I nobody knows this, but what almost, and I think just, this is the first interview that I'm actually going to tell the story, so you're getting an exclusive. Funky, funky man. When, when I was walking, went, went through the whole, walked through this whole idea with this writer, I'm sitting down and I'm like, I just don't get it. I, I don't feel it. I'm not getting it. And I even talked, I talked to Chris Benoit, and I talked to Eddie. I was like, I, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it, and they—they totally ruined it on me. And I uh, fit Finley. Sorry, I talked to Fit Finley as well, and I was telling Fit what I was thinking about doing, and Fit's like, well, "It's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you just do what you think you need to do and, and feel it." Because what I was going to do, and uh all the way up until I started talking on the microphone, I was just going to go out there. They, they, he will you know, if you you can watch it on YouTube. My very first segment when I were, worked with a guy named Caprice Coleman, who did an excellent job, excellent job for me, and I really appreciated that. But I was it just didn't didn't come across. The character didn't come across what it was supposed to be. As I was sitting in Gorilla, waiting to go out through the through the um, curtain to walk to the ring, so I go out the curtain. I'm walking down the ring. I get in the ring. I grab the microphone. And that whole time when I'm standing in gorilla, walking down to the ring, climbing up in the ring, and then I grabbed the microphone that whole time I was doing, I was thinking this and nobody knows this. I was thinking, I'm just going to trash this whole idea and I'm going to be myself. I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm either going to get fired or this is going to work. I'm either going to get fired. I'm going to make this work. Do I make this work or do I just do what I want to do to just be me? So all that was going through my head the whole time I came out and walked up and I grabbed the microphone and I did what that writer wanted to do. And I think it it was, it was the biggest mistake of my, it, it was the biggest mistake of my whole career because that was the end of my, pretty much the end of my WWE career.
1: And then, in terms of timeline, you then went down to ECW, and you were masked. You were masked. You were security for Paul Heyman. How how was that? How was that? Oh, it, was, that? It,
0: it was great being able to just get get back um, on you know back active because I think I sat at home for a long time after that. And then they brought me and Danny in when they started in ECW as Paul Heyman's enforcers, and then um, Danny. We worked and worked and worked, worked a lot of house shows, had great matches, um, as always. And then Danny uh, hurt his, tore his bicep tendon, or tore his bicep, and then they replaced him with Derek Nykirk. Uh, and he and I worked together well. Um, and then they just finally just, you know, just, just said, we're done. <laughs> he said, we're done with you. And I said, okay, set it home for a little bit. And then I was trying to work on some new characters. That's when I was doing, started working on the magic. Mm-hmm. Magic character, and then uh, it just didn't work. So, and then I got got uh, got released.
1: How, I how how were you when you were at home mentally? How how was that not being on TV and waiting? How how were you mentally? Your mental uh, the mental side. But
0: you when it's so weird because you know I was in my thirties, early to mid thirties, and whenever you or with a signed contract with a big company and you want to be on TV, you want to work, you want to wrestle. That's what your passion is. That's what you love doing. And, um, so sitting at home and watching everybody else, you know, work and watching the show and you're not on it. It it, it was tough. It's like, man, I got to get back there. I got to get back there. What do I, I need to think of something to get back there. But, you know, also sitting at home, you know, you're resting, not taking, taking all that abuse to your body. So that was kind of nice too. But and I lived in Tampa, Florida, so it wasn't bad living in a pretty good, pretty good area. It was nice coming home, but still, you know, it, mentally, it's like, man, they don't have anything for me. I can't think of anything. Uh, am I going to get released? Uh, how, how much longer do I have with the company? I've got to get myself back in there. I got to be relevant. So all that stuff was going through your mind when you're sitting home, too.
1: Then on to TNA. You had a brief time in TNA as well. You know, back back with Danny and Christy Hemi. How how was that? I know you weren't there that long, but just in terms of timeline and time frame, uh, yeah, just the time the time in TNA that you had.
0: Well, it was very uh, how we got to TNA is after we got released, you know, I I will tell you the story about how I got my phone call to get released from WWE because it ties in with TNA too. Mm-hmm. So um I had come home, my uh, grandparents, I came home for my grandparents' funeral and um so i was there and i was staying with my dad my dad's house in, in indiana and then i was getting into the car and heading to the funeral home and johnny ace called me and he it, i do not envy that guy's job and he's he he probably has the worst had the worst job on the planet having to call guys and, and release them and knowing that this is all we want to do in our whole life working for the biggest company but um he called me up and goes hey Hey, Doug, it's Johnny Ace. Hey, Johnny, what's going on? He goes, hey, how's things going? I said, well, you know, they, they could be better. I, I, I'm home here in Indiana right now. You know, I'm going to my grandpa's funeral. And he goes, oh, God. And I said, yeah, what's what's going on? He goes, yeah, we, we have to let you go. And I was like, and, and there's like an awkward silence there for about 45 seconds. Nobody said it. Well, maybe not. It felt like 45 seconds, it felt longer. But there's an awkward silence there for the longest time. And and I think I come back and said, is this is this a rib <laughs> are you ribbing me <laughs> he goes no no we're not buddy and he kept it very short and very sweet and got off the phone as fast as he could because he just I mean the timing was just horrible <laughs> and then um, after that I was I said okay I guess I, have to, I got 90 days to figure out where, where I want to go what I want to do you know the next day the very next day Jim Cornette calls me Doug Basham Jim Cornette what are you doing how's it going blah 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 when's your 90 days up he goes when's your 90 days up i go uh, i guess april 15th or whenever it was i couldn't remember he goes all right great we're gonna put you on we're gonna have you come to tna i'll give you details later okay congratulations you're out of there you know <laughs> 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 so the very next day you know um uh, we had a job or an opportunity with tna so that's that's that was a that was pretty pretty awesome that that happened and then we go down to tna and um you know we try our luck there we just we just didn't make the cut and um after that danny had danny said he was about done with wrestling anyway so he just kind of hung it up and went back to school and got his degree got his master's wow like i'm like i didn't know you had that in you buddy so he's got his master's degree and he was teaching he went on to be a teacher and he taught autistic children so kudos to danny What that's incredible that's, absolutely amazing guy yeah
1: this is stuff we don't know. You know. I'm a fan first and foremost. To hear him do that, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, Take wrestling out the equation. That's fantastic.
0: And then I went on to um, travel the world. I wanted to travel the world before I finally hung up the boots. Mm-hmm. So I, I went and traveled over in, in Europe and in Japan and, and uh, Britain, um, Ireland. It's just all over Australia. I did that for about a year and a half, two years Mm -hmm. before I finally said, you know, I was finished, I wanted to travel. So I did that. And then uh, after that, I had to try to assimilate back into normal society and and start another career because the the bumps were starting to hurt more. The travel was getting more brutal. uh, The money I was making was starting to go down a little bit. So it just wasn't worth it to me. And I was only 30, 30, 37. 38, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't make Hulk Hogan money, I, I still had to, I still had to work to make a living, so then I, I went into the medical field, medical sales field, and started a new career.
1: I've got to ask you about, obviously, touring, coming over to Britain, can you remember who you worked for, promotion-wise, promoters you worked for, because I'm sure I'll know quite a few.
0: Um, one promotion that I wanted, one guy I wanted to work for was Dixon,
1: so I had to work for him. I had a funny feeling you bring up Brian
0: Dixon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I worked for uh, uh, Irish Whip. Uh, guy yeah. I worked for him quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Great, great group of guys there in Ireland. And then I came over. I cannot remember. Uh, I worked for um, the uh, uh, man. I'm, I'm having brain fog. I worked for the other popular, the other very popular family down there, nice. or Nice. nice yes yeah gosh, i could not remember that um i, I caught covet april the end of april and had that for a couple of weeks and then ever since i've gotten better one of the effects is like brain fog and i can't you know my mind is it's not as sharp yet but it's it's getting better and better and better so um and uh let's see and man, there's just a, a slew of other promoters over there i think i tried i think i worked for just about every one of them, at least once in england because i i enjoyed england i'd go over overseas and i'd stay about six weeks and just stay busy doing doing the shows on the weekends um whenever there may be a show possibly like a lot of the camps or what they come, holiday camps
1: yeah they they're there. absolutely yeah
0: and then um doing a lot of uh, seminars i did a lot of seminars throughout the week at people's wrestling schools so uh, i stayed pretty busy
1: how does the british crowd differ so, the USA crowd, in your opinion, what the, what the, any, any differences? Oh, yeah. There's more of
0: them. <laughs> more, <laughs> of them more of them that go to the shows. And uh, they, I think that, uh, I think they really enjoy when, um, like a uh, uh, foreigner, I guess you'd call me, because I would have been, someone from another country would, would come over, especially if you had been in the WWE or been in one of the big, big uh, companies. I think they they appreciated that uh, more so than the American crowds here when you have somebody come over because obviously the biggest promotion here is is, is here in the United States. But um, I felt that and they everybody wanted to come up and take pictures and, and stuff like that and just come and talk to you. It was very, very, very warm and welcoming whenever I could, whether I was whichever side of the fence I was performing that night. Um, the the crowds are great over there. Yeah. So I always enjoyed coming over to England.
1: That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear, you. <laughs> nice to hear you, man. Yeah. I can't wait to go back to shows. I've actually got a commentary gig on Monday, finally, after all this COVID. So, yeah, it's, uh, my, it's my first entrance into, <laughs> into the business. I am nervous to say the least, but the, prom- <laughs> the promoter knows me quite well now through the podcast. So, yeah. yes. Oh, I am. i nervous. I think. I think I'm on color. I think I'm on <laughs> color. So <laughs> I yeah. So just uh, back to that. Just can't wait. I, I know it's the same over there. Shows being run fully. Everyone's just so. Oh, I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait to see the talent because I know they've been chomping at the bit over here. They've had like 15, 16 months not being able to put on a show for the fans, man.
0: Well, uh, right now um, I, I may be getting a little ahead of your podcast and some of your questions um i'm currently uh, my life has went full circle mm-hmm. where yeah. i started i started at ohio valorant i say i was a first student and i was a very i built ovw on these shoulders basically is what i'm going to say even though there was other guys like rob conway nick mm-hmm. Dinsmore, the damage mm-hmm. and several others um but I, I was one of the first so i started at ovw built it worked there went to wwe had my career there and then had had to go walk away from wrestling for a little bit start a new career medical sales now i'm back at OBW <laughs> wrestling helping al snow al snow had purchased OBW wrestling yep. from my uncle danny because danny wanted to retire now he's down in florida laying on a beach getting <laughs> tan and enjoying my ties i'm sure so now i'm here at OBW, and um as of right now uh it's opened back up and we're doing shows out and we have 35 shows 35 live house shows scheduled so far up to the end of uh, september Uh, business is good we have our own tv show that you can see on the fight tv network you can also i think that's overseas is where you guys can watch the show it's a two-hour show and Mm -hmm. um i think this week um, I made my very first appearance back on Ohio Valley wrestling as one of the celebrity, um, celebrity managers that we're having a tournament for a country boy, Kentucky heavyweight title, which is kind of like a TV champion title so that we've, uh, created and developed. So a lot of good things are happening here in Ohio Valley wrestling right now with, uh, Al Snow's Ohio Valley wrestling. Um, a lot of good stuff, a lot of big stuff happening. We, we, we hold, um, uh, pay-per-views also which can be seen on. you can go to ovwrestling.com and find the the link to watch our pay-per-views i think our next pay-per-view is coming up june 26th i believe so and basically in this pay-per-view this is the first time we've done this man it's called chain carnage and the main event we have cash flow who's our champion right now against omar amir and um they're facing off together And there's been a whole storyline developed between those two to lead up to this match where we're taking down the, we're taking down the ropes and we're putting, we're putting up chains. So there's, you're going to have, instead of having rope, you're going to have three rows of chain, a big, big, hard metal steel chain, and they're going to have a match in that. So pretty, pretty excited to see what's going to happen with that. Because as far as OVW is concerned, it's the first time this has happened in OVW and uh, that's called Chain Carnage is the name of the pay per view. Don't know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be something to see. I will say that.
1: Going to be raw for that one,
0: absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. So, so pretty excited about that and being back in OBW, mm-hmm. helping Al Snow. Um, uh, I don't know if you've got more questions. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep rolling. With yeah, it. yeah,
1: keep rolling, keep.
0: Rolling. Yeah, um, um, help came back originally. Uh, how it happened was. I was—I got a buddy who owns a restaurant over here, close to my house, and I was in there one day. I get fan mail, and fans will send me some fan mail, and they'll send me pictures. Could you please sign this and, and uh, send it back? So, I'll sign sign the photos that they send, and then I'll mail it back to him if they if they have a self addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> There's a couple people that didn't send me back send me an envelope. And, <laughs> I'm sorry. Guys, you have to send me a self-addressed envelope. Um, put that out there. And I usually always, always send it back. Um, and I appreciate the fan mail even to this day. Thank you. But um, I had this, got this uh, fan mail from a, a veteran. And he wrote in there. And I was, I was, it, it was a touching letter that he wrote and i took it brought that to talk to one of the, the bartenders at the it was like it's like a sports bar and grill place uh bartender's there because we were talking he's a huge wrestling fan and i was actually you know this letter touched me It's like, man check out this letter and these pictures that he sent me. He wants me to sign i've never seen these pictures before and the owner of the restaurant was walking behind me at that time And he goes oh hey man i, I took those pictures and I, I looked and i was like what Well, really? He goes, no, 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 I did. And then he um, introduced himself. I'm Greg. I own the place here. This is uh, Harvard Hops. Thank you. And he goes, "Um, yeah, you may may or may not remember the time I took those pictures. And I said, oh, yeah. And then I said, yeah, I, I remember you, Greg. I remember and then that was the start of me and Greg becoming really good friends again. Now we go golfing, we go uh, eat at his restaurant, we go hang out. He and now he also comes to OVW and helps take more photos for us. He does a really good job. So we became we, we sparked that relationship and that friendship again. And then, um, uh, where was I going with the story? <laughs> oh, the go Man, COVID uh, <laughs> pictures where was I going with this story, Stu?
1: Saying about your friendship with the with the owner of the restaurant.
0: Yes, friendship. Okay. friendship. There then... you go. And so that all that came to came with Al Snow. So yeah. he had these pictures. There you go. I got it. Come back to me. Uh, Al Snow, uh, Greg had a whole bunch of pictures and wanted to know if Al wanted to use these pictures for the show or purchase them or something, whatnot. So I called Uncle Danny. I said, hey, Danny, do you, you think Al would would be interested in some of these pictures and all that. And you think he would mind me calling him and, and you know, just touching base with him. He goes, yeah, call him. He, he may. So I called up Al, uh, talked to him for a minute. And, um, he said, yeah, why don't you come to one of our, one of our TV tapings, you know, at the time that was, that was during COVID and, um, Kentucky is where they film their shows. That's where the Davis arena is. So there was another place over in Indiana because Indiana had just opened up before before kentucky did so they were filming their wrestling shows over at this other uh, arena in indiana so i went to that and it was right it was right next door to my house almost so i went over there and talked to al a little bit and he goes yeah come on you, you come enjoy the show come back here and watch some, you introduce yourself to the boys and stuff so i did went down and introduced myself to the boys watched the show and then um i had i had taken myself out of wrestling for the longest time because if i didn't um take that part of my life and put it behind closed doors i would have never been able to move on with another career in medical sales so i had to just shut the door on that because uh, wrestling is like uh, wrestling to a wrestler is like alcohol to an alcoholic or or drugs to a person who's addicted I mean that's that's kind of gruesome to put it that way, but I have to explain it that way so you know just how addicting or how much wrestling uh, what it means to us guys like myself. So I had to take myself completely out of it, or I would not have been able to move on with my life. So this all happens, and I go and watch the show, and then I leave the show, and you know I start going. Ooh, I start getting that wrestler's itch again. Like, oh man! And then I go back the next week, and then Al says, "Hey, would you like to would you like to help me with with put, you know with the guys with a couple of their matches and stuff?" I go, "Oh yeah!" And so by this time, I'm a full on, you know, itching, itching, itching. And now we'll fast forward from last. I guess that was in last November. I guess October, something like that. I think. It was still kind of warm, so it may have been may have been August, may have been September, may have been September, the end of September So now, and now I am the head trainer at the Ohio Valley Wrestling School, Al Snow Wrestling Academy. I'm uh, one of the one of the lead. I'm the one of the agents for the Ohio Valley Wrestling TV show. Um, I'm setting in and helping on production of writing the TV show. Um, I'm helping pr- produce produce some of the uh backstage vignettes and promos. So I'm I'm all in. I am all in. So both feet. If it was water, I'm I'm drowning. That's <laughs> so amazing. That's kind of where, where I'm at now with Ohio Valley Wrestling. So my life is my life has taken a, a full circle and now started and now I'm back at the end of my career helping uh, others reach their, reach their uh, goals of becoming great big time superstars with one of the bigger companies, a bigger platform, WWE, AEW, whatever they want. Cause that, that's where the big money is. So that's, that's where I'm at now, man. And that's what we're doing. And I'm really proud of the product that we're putting out there. The TV shows we weren't, mm-hmm. we are doing live. The, our TV shows are live. They're not, they're not pre-recorded either. So mm-hmm. people need to understand that on Thursday nights, it's live. You see it on fight TV. You're getting it live. It's happening right then and there, maybe a three second delay. Um, and then I think it comes on on Saturdays to some places. I don't know if it, but if you get on the fight TV network, the fight TV app for your phone, you can watch, you can watch um, episodes uh, whenever you want. And if you do watch this week's episode, you'll see yours truly on there may help managing one of the wrestlers. So, i uh, haven't been on tv wrestling tv since 2007 <laughs> i think so that's just a little plug for myself
1: you're wearing you're wearing many hats and spinning many plates at obw doug
0: absolutely and helping the product just helping the product and the product's getting better we got quite a few look ohio valley wrestling uh, for all your fans are for all your base out there listening Go watch Ohio Valley Wrestling because you're going to see some st- future. You're going to definitely, you are going to see future stars of tomorrow. We got some good guys there that are ready to move up anytime, and that are almost ready to move up anytime. We got a lot of good talent there, man.
1: What What would be some tips for guys getting into the industry? What would be your tips, your veteran tips?
0: Don't do it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean. Who wants to get into a, a profession where you willingly beat yourself up, willingly don't make any money starting out, willingly <laughs> happen to get in the gym and, and willingly happen to eat perfect all the time to have that look, that million dollar body, because, um, you know, first impressions say a lot in this this business. So who wants to eat chicken and rice their whole life? So don't do it. That's
1: my That's my advice. I didn't think you were going to say that, but <laughs>
0: there, there, we go. there we go. No, but on a, ser- on a serious note, uh, if you really do want to get into uh, professional wrestling, uh, my advice would be is make sure you find a, a good accredited school or trainer. That is the most important to get a good base. Because if you're coming from ground zero and you don't know anything about it, you just think you know about it. You know, there's people out there that could just see that and just take your money and, and not train you well. So um, I would plug the uh, Al Snow Wrestling Academy. You're going to get good training there. Ohio Valley Wrestling, you're going to get excellent training there. And there is a whole slew of other schools and other trainers out there that are that are really good and reputable. So just be picky or, not, or be, be careful and do your due diligence um, on who you go and get trained by. Because getting that base uh knowledge is super important because that sets the stage for the rest of for the rest of what you're going to learn in the rest of your career it's where it starts so and uh watch wrestling watch it
1: fantastic advice thank you doug thank you very, thank yes, you very much so that Absolutely. doug where can the fans viewers listeners find you in terms of social media
0: I only have a Facebook page, Um, I'm getting ready to possibly start up an Instagram page Um, only because I'm back in Ohio Valley wrestling again and people are asking me this question where can I find you. Um, I stayed away and stayed private for the longest time because again, you know, I was trying to start a whole nother career and if I got myself back into wrestling it probably wouldn't have happened but now that I'm back in um, people will be able to follow me off my Facebook page and uh, they'll be able to find my Instagram. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go to Twitter or not. Uh, it's just too much work and I'm not a real big social media keeping up with all that stuff, you know, so, but uh, I'll do the best I can probably with Instagram. Cause I think Facebook owns that. So it's kind of tied into each other. And uh, once that's up, you'll be able to see where to find me on, I'll put it on my Facebook page. And uh, if, if you ask, to be a friend on Facebook, just give me some time to go through it. I've got th- thousands of requests that I, I try to go through every day and, and accept as many as I can, um, just so everybody can keep a see you know see what I've been doing and, and see who I am a little bit on Facebook. But just be patient with me, please.
1: <laughs> I've, requ- I've requested you. <laughs> oh. God. I have. Nice, yeah. <laughs> not, not yet, but you are busy. So it's understandable, man. Absolutely. Of course, it's understandable. We've got so much going on. My guest, all the way from Indiana, it is former two time WWE Tag Team Champion as one half of the Basham Brothers in WWE, former TNA talent. You're now head trainer, agent, manager in OVW. It's gone full circle of career. Mr. Doug Basham, my guest today on Studios Wrestling Podcast. What a career Doug has had in wrestling. He was away from wrestling for so long, and lo and behold, it goes full circle. He's back in OBW, he's back with Al Snow, and it's just a, what a, what a story, and fantastic, you know, that quest getting to WWE. A two-time tag team champion as one half of the Fashion Brothers Tim He achieved so much in his career, and it just goes to show it took 10 years, but once he was there, he was there. A big, big thank you to Powered4.tv for all their support with the show. Rich and John have been fantastic. I've got my other show, which is MMA and Boxing. Big Fight Weekly, Powered4.tv, Big Fight Weekly with my cousin Chris. We do that every week. We're on to episode 18, so check that out if you fancy something a bit different away from wrestling. I've really, really enjoyed it. We've uh, got lots and lots to come up. Some big fights in boxing. And in the UFC and across MMA. So look forward to that. Thank you to Chris Dutton again editing this. Superb job, superb job as always. Mike Angus for the intro. And Evade Escape for their track. Already know that you heard at the start. And you're hearing now in the background. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Stu's Wrestling Podcast.